exactly where I thought I would be uh, when I first started doing comedy. Um, I thought I'd be rich, uh, famous, uh, divorced, remarried, divorced, rehab, found Jesus, and driving a Uber. In today's episode of the Amon Wire podcast. He goes, do you think you're the only Muslim that died on stage? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, oh, no, you're not the only Muslim that died on stage. I'm thinking Muslim comedian. Mm. I'm like, who else died on stage? He goes, Malcolm X. And he goes, if you don't have that level of conviction, give it up. He said, if you really, if you're real, give it up. Don't. He said, take Muslim off the name. Da, da, da. He said, just give it up. Quit. He said, but you have that level of conviction because that's you have to be willing to go that far. Bismillah, assalamu alaikum, alaykum. Welcome everyone to the Iman Wire podcast, Istanbul edition. I'm your host, Maltas Maltia, with my dear beloved friend, Sidi Mustafa Davis. Assalamu alaikum, Sidi, how are you? Alhamdulillah, how are you, Mustafa? Alhamdulillah, wa Allah, Allah, we have a special guest today. Our guest is Preacher Mosque. Welcome, Preacher. Assalamu alaikum, everybody. How did I get to be a Sidi? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone that comes through Istanbul is a Sidi. Can I get to be a Sidi preacher master? Just want to see somebody, this want to see somebody say it with a straight face. <laughs> I Introduce am... me, Sidi preacher master. It sounds like Sidi. Like your C-S-E-E-D-Y, Sidi. <laughs> I guess he needs no introduction. He's, he's like I know a couple, I'm just saying I know a couple of Sidis. It has nothing to do with Islam. This is Sidi... <laughs> CD Joe Brown. Joe no, Brown. I'm glad you have everything to do with Islam. That's the beauty yeah, about you. So, Preacher, let me ask you a question before we get started yes, here. Sir. We're yes, here sir. in Istanbul. We ask this question to all of our guests. What mm-hmm. strikes you about the city of Istanbul? Um, really, I just say just it's just the history, but it's the the modern feel. Like everybody's mm-hmm. moved through the history, right? Like, so it's not like where I am in the states. Like you can date, you have people who are part, particularly my community, who are part of when Islam took hold in the African-American Muslim community. Uh So it might be a generation or two, but you still have pioneers. They're in the 80s and 90s, but they can tell you what that that thing was, what that vibe was. And uh, it's absent of, you know, traditional Sunni, Sufi uh, scholarship, if you will. Mm and and it's really like I I love this religion. I think it'll it'll save my life. It'll save my community. Oh, and so when you talk about it it's in real time. Mm. Like I just took a course in history of Islam and it was a great teacher. It was just a horrible course. I was like I was like, look at history of Islam, I like look it to nineteen fifties and give me a call. Right. <laughs> I can re- I can relate to nineteen. Right. I'm like you know, because you're going, Hey man, I get it, the caliphates aren't working out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's not working out. It's not working out. Yeah, it's interesting. We all have different experiences in America, you know, with what we relate to. I mean, here you're talking about Istanbul, the, the part of the city that we're in, in Istanbul right now. We're in Uskadar. We're recording from Uskadar. Mm-hmm. This part of the city is 3,000 years old. You get the feeling like you're running. I went running this morning. So you're running. I see a vendor. I see a guy sitting in a chair and an open fire, like warming his hands. <laughs> There's a vendor there, and you see buses. You're choking on the bus smoke. And then you look over to the right side. There's the blue, the blue mosque. Right. Like, 
<laughs> it's incredible, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's it, you. It's all this symbolism, like it's across the water. Like if I, do, yeah, we took a train, uh, brother, brother, uh, Mustafa, my uh, dear brother. When we came from the airport, we took a train that goes underneath the water to the get here. Right. And you're thinking, hey man, it took five minutes to get here. And I'm thinking, if I tried to swim across. Yeah. The water to the blue moss. I probably drowned twice, man. Yeah, that both <laughs> I'm like, it's so close, it's so far, and that's right. sort of like the the feeling right. that it the, the history is so close, but it's so far. Right. And it's interesting too, because most of us is where the, the you know the worlds are meeting. We're we're here in Asia. You know, Istanbul is split between Asia and, and yeah. Europe in one city. In one city, yeah. So close, but so far, so man. Far, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So why why nine why nineteen fifty is your specific date for what you're going to relate to in terms of Islamic history? Um, I think the conversation of Islam really happens around that time, and it, it comes in America, with, America, and it comes. Um, it coincides, if you will, uh, with the aspect of, of freedom of expression. Uh, justice, liberation with African Americans. Um, you had movements like Marcus Garvey. Marcus Garvey was uh, incredibly important, significant, but he's from the islands. He's from Jamaica. Right. Uh, you had the Lost Foundation, Noble Draw Lee, which was um, the Lost Foundation, which really, they really worked on, ironically, a lot of stuff about Indian rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, Native American rights being recognized Native American, not so much African American or black. You had the Akhmadiyya movement, which was racial equality, but it was sort of like an Asian type of deal. And this is the thing that comes. It's, it's in the city. It's organic. It's in the city. Mm-hmm. It's like you say, let me pour a solution over a uh, problem of race, race uh, injustice, Jim Crow, segregation. And let's see what the experiment is. And it happens in juxtaposition right beside the civil rights movement. Right. Because the civil rights movement um, pre doesn't necessarily predate it, though. I found that out. doesn't necessarily predate it. Uh, you had a guy, his name was Dr. Vernon Johns. So he was king before king. So he's like Martin Luther King S mm-hmm. without a formal organization to back him up. No SCLC. And watch, reading his history is like he basically got chased out of every church he led because he was like, this is not right. right. He said, if we're, we're real, he was like, if we're real religious, we're real Christians, then you guys are the bad Christians. Mm. You can't tell me that this is existing, that this is okay. And so he's that guy, you know, King comes along. Ironically, King replaces him at the church, his last church assignment where he, where he got fired. Mm. And so King takes that over, and it's, it's an interesting thing. So when you talk about the fifties, it's really, really, really organic. And I think technology-wise, you're very close to the advent of the perfection of TV, the idea of TV being in the home because you have a radio culture, then it's TV culture, and then people understand the aspect of media. Uh, the Nation of Islam really understood the aspect of media in terms of getting a message out, how they did the, if you look through some of the old stuff that they did in terms of marketing, we were talking about that earlier. So uh, marketing on, promotion, it was interesting. On that, on that line, uh, CD. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's S-E-E-D-Y, CD, Preacher Moss. Thank you. I'll clear that up. <laughs> um, you, you also have 
uh, a tour that I don't think a, a lot of your Muslim fans are, are maybe aware of, the End of Racism Comedy and Lecture Tour. Yes, sir. That uh, has been voted two times for Best um, Diversity Act in, in uh, college campuses. Uh, is Does that come from this trajectory that you're talking about? Yes, yes. Um, King, like, like Martin Luther King, when I grew up, I was born in 66. So for six years, you can still go to people's houses and they have a picture of Jesus mm. and they have a, people, a picture of Martin Luther King. Interesting. And then in some houses, you had a picture of Jesus, Martin Luther King, and you had Malcolm X. Where is this? Uh, Washington, D.C. Okay. So okay. it's like, it's like a, people think D.C. is like this really, you know, black epic, you know, uh, cultural epic center. It's not. D.C. was for the longest a, a southern, it was really a southern town. Uh, didn't have a mayor. It's a principality. Well, it was basically a principality, and they had a control board. And the control board was all guys from down south, and they bring like police officers up from West Virginia that had nothing to do with black culture. Mm-hmm. To so um, in D.C., the movement was actually late. Like they don't get a black mayor until the seventies. But what was important is that you had this counterculture that was very vibrant, going out of Howard University and things like that and it's like yeah when i did uh end of racism end of racism comedy lecture tour it basically grew out the fact that i couldn't really talk about critical race theory on stage and get it done in an hour i think the first time i tried to do that lecture full on it, it was like two and a half hours i got tired mm. but with humor I, don't, I wouldn't say you could shortcut it but you can compartmentalize it and you could put it next to each other and and you know, like a puzzle, and in the end, the, all the pieces in the puzzles. Well, everybody goes, "Oh, so that's a picture." So, did you find that people are more willing to listen to that message uh, through the uh, the lens of humor rather than the lecturing? Yes and no. Okay. Yes and no. Um, by trade, more so than, than a more so than a comedian, I'm a teacher. Mm. So when I do projects, even put together. Uh, shows um, Allah made me funny. I still have the notes from Allah made me funny. It's really it's it's a curriculum. I see. It's a curriculum. It's like how do we get point group A to talk to group B? Interesting. Um, what's the temperaments and things? It's like a business plan. It's like a SWOT analysis. So people think you're just getting on stage just to make some jokes and make some money, but in reality, you got a purpose. It's always been that way. It's it. Um, the business of Allah made me funny was a business of Muslims. It was a business of Muslim self-image. It was a business of Muslim self-validation. One of the big ways you can turn this whole thing about, um, you know, uh, people going after Muslims like that is like confidence, right. like confidence. Hmm. You know, we always say, if there's a fight, you're going to get jumped. I know this is off topic, but if there's a fight, you're going to get jumped. You know, the guy you hit is the bully. Everyone else might fold, but if the bully folds a little bit, even in the narrative that, that's told later, at least you lay one on the bully. So this is actually an interesting conversation because you've got two tours that you're doing here or that you founded. One is dealing with racism and the other one, uh, Allah Made Me Funny. Give us a little bit of background of Allah Made Us Funny, why you started it, when you started it, and what you were trying to tackle there. Yeah. For our sure. listeners who don't know. Well, originally, I didn't want to do Allah Made Me Funny. Okay. Um. It's going to be a lot of work. 
And uh, it's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be a lot of blowback. And in the end, it's like you're not. Blowback from what? Muslims I had met on the road before I did all of them made me funny just, just just turned a lot of them just turned me off until you met Mustafa and I right yeah yeah and then it all became clear and fine and then well you know I, we always say man <laughs> Allah gives you that gut check you know okay. I, well, I had two gut checks I had that one and I had uh, a man war with the Muhammad okay who it was a challenge and it was a challenge to your dean because really what happens, and they don't talk about this a lot, really what happens is like 9-11 hits, and you, you already had a, a, a space between African-American Muslims and immigrant Muslims. So there was a space there, and everybody's like, we're happy with this space. We'll, we'll just make it work. Because mm-hmm. you have to remember, even by the time 9-11 hits, the second resurrection where a nation a large portion of the nation of Islam goes to Sunni Islam. That's, that's only, you're only talking about 1975. Mm-hmm. So in 2001, you're only talking about maybe 26 years in this space. So the scholarship hasn't, you know, the scholarship hasn't necessarily built. It's there, it's growing, but it's not like this establishment. So you tend to look to these are scholars who have been over and things like that. But long story short, there's, there's a disconnect with a lot of that. So when 9-11 happens, the idea of Muslims in America is the beards, that they, they don't look like us, you, 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 the Arab, blah, 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 blah. And, and, and the disconnecting piece makes them an easy target. Sure. So you have to more thing Muhammad tells me to this thing is like, well, the question is, yeah, all of that has happened. We understand. But those are your brothers. So the question is, oh, if we're really Muslims, and those are our brothers, somebody's going after our brothers, we're obligated to help them. And he's like, you're a comedian. I want you to do this project. But the caveat is don't do it here. We're okay. They're not coming after us. They're not, they ain't coming in the hood. They're not coming in the hood and trying to throw throw bacon at the masjid and, and egg the masjid and da-da-da because that community has a much different narrative. That mosque has a much different narrative than African American, and you're not going to do that. Mm. The non-Muslims are not going to do that because mm. they understand the affinity between African Americans, African American Muslims. Mm. So they're not going to do that. But this mosque down here that just got built five years ago, da da da. I'll go after that one. And basically, he said, "Listen, you know, the scholarship that we'd like to share, really, a survival. It really should have been called a." Uh, uh, Islamic Survival 101, top of African-American Muslim maps. Mm. Um, it's like nobody's coming to that course. He says, so in this humor, you could take that language, you could take that history, you could take that intent, you could take that spirit and wrap it in humor and it's palatable. It's palatable. You're not lecturing, you're just giving information, you're flowing information out. And I like that. And then he said, you know, the idea was, yeah, we're all one family. So I wound up bringing on people who didn't look like me, right. who weren't, I say caliber wise at that time, they weren't, they weren't even comedians. Mm-hmm. You know, they were, you know, doing other jobs and things like that. And you had to teach them how to be comedians, but you're teaching them out of this pool so they learn. So now they're getting that language and that instruction and uh, that framework out of this space and speaking to literally people who look like them. 
So that was a trick. And uh, I, I would say it was successful in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways it failed. How long did you tour with it? Uh, 10 years, over 10 years. Over 10 years. In, in what year does A Law Made Me Funny come out? It starts as a, a lot of people don't know this. It starts as a solo act in 2003. Mm. It starts as a solo act in 2003. And I was, I, I, and going through it, I was like, well, this, this is the thing that'll make it fail. If it's just a solo act, right. if it's just, if it's just one voice saying one thing, I'm like, we, if we had three voices from three different backgrounds, with a common message, I'm like, that's much more powerful. So what was the message of the Allah Made Me Funny tour? Uh, truthfully, uh, one message, it was several messages. Okay. One message spoke to the relevance and the contributions of African-American Muslims. Okay. That's the message that gets lost totally. It used to be on our website, but that's a message that gets lost totally. Why? Um... I think people don't want to have that kind of relationship or accountability um, to, I want to say, African-American suffrage. Um, and that's a heavy thing. It's a very heavy thing. It's like it's sort of like somebody, you're, you're going to build a building, and I walk down the street and I see people protesting in front of your building, and I see them get beaten up. And then I see that building get beat, uh, built, and someone goes, yeah, you can come on in. I'm like... But I saw people get injured, get hurt in front of that building, standing up for something. Don't worry about that. We'll, we'll reduce your rent $100. Most people go, $100? <laughs> well, all right. I'm not that way. I'm not from that time. I'm, I'm not from that time. I'm not from that orientation. My mom did civil rights. My dad, was he was black power all the way. His black power was like, I just don't like a whole lot of white folks telling me anything. But... It was that model that you that you had, so you had something to stand on. Mm. So you know, the, unfortunately, the not unfortunately, but some just truthfully, the the model coming to America and it's like it's immigration. You put in your paperwork and and things like you put in your paperwork. You're not putting in your real work. And what's one thing not putting in your real work? But it's another thing not to recognize the work that's been here. You know what I mean? Is this why you say that it was successful in, in, in some regards and in other ways unsuccessful? Because it, I think it did, in, in terms of the intention of, of of putting showing Islam in a positive light, it, I think it did that. That was at, my feeling. You know, yeah, absolutely. Sure. Right. Uh -huh. uh, in terms of, uh, to be honest, I wasn't aware that the, in, engaging with black suffrage was, was part of the, the intention. It's not so it. much. It's, it's just acknowledging. And I'd say acknowledging, and the reason was because... When 9-11, people show pathways out of quote unquote suffering. And it's like, listen, then you need to, you need to follow this brand of American Islamic acceptance. You know, we need you to do X, Y, and Z. It's reminiscent of every comedian dreams of having a big meeting that makes you rich and famous. Mm. I had that meeting. Um, a uh, comedian, he was on, he, he was on uh, Saturday Night Live. His name is Daryl Hammond. Good dude. Thoroughly believed in what I did. Knew I was Muslim. Got it. The whole nine. And I remember going into the offices of Brillstein Gray, which was one of the, one of, probably still is one of the biggest management companies. 
big name stars. And I remember the guys like, hey man, Harold, you know, Daryl Hammond vouched for you, da da da. He loves you. I seen your work, da da. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, all right, this is going well. It's like I, he's talking about shows I could be on. I'm, I'm looking at right. back 2000. I don't know, 2002. I'm looking at a guy telling me, you know, you could be making fifteen thousand dollars a week on this show. And I'm like, wow. And the guy goes, yeah, man, but check this out. He said, but you're a Muslim, though. Like, yeah, well, what's that all about? I said, I believe in Allah. I give him some general stuff. He goes, well, let me, he goes, let me ask you. So, like, if you had a chance, and this is Hollywood, but it's also Shaitan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if you nice. had, a, yeah, if you had a chance to make a whole lot of money right. and it wasn't, like, all the way legit, like, you had to do something you didn't really feel comfortable with, would you do that? As a entertainer, you go, yeah, but as a man, I'm going, well, what does that mean? Well, you know, if you had to, you know, I'm like, he tells me what it is. I'm like, well, let me tell you something. Um, If I could work in this framework and, and be creative and be talented and, and all these things, I'm like, you know, I'm good with that. You know, if I can do what I'm doing and, and be able to support what I am, I said, but keep what I believe in tag. I said, I do that. But that other thing, I said, there's too many question marks. I said, so, you know, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable with that. And he looks at me and goes, thanks for coming. Right. And that was it. No. That was it. So I, always, I always joke. I said, I wasn't there long enough to have to get my parking validated. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is important because you, you prior, is it prior to this or after this that you're writing for the George Lopez show, that you're writing for Damon Wayans? Is this before or after this? Um, I was writing for Damon Wayans before this. Okay. And then right around the time I got the Lopez uh, thing, there's a whole nother story, but I got the chance to write for Lopez on the first year of the George Lopez show. Um, all this stuff is coming about. And I say this and I'm like, you know, people are like, oh, you made a tactical error. I'm like, nah. Because when I think about it, I was like, you know, if I was tied into that, would there have ever been an Allah made me funny? Right. Like literally, would there? It's like there was a bigger mm. thing there, and sometimes when you're so close to something, you can't see it. Not only that, I mean, it seems like God gave you a question from the Quran: Do you want to sell your religion out, your Lord out, mm -hmm. for worldly gains? And you had to answer it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and you said no. He said no. He said no, and I'm like, <laughs> right? and I have the depleted bank account to show for it. <laughs> but don't worry, he loves you because he made you funny. I, <laughs> I have, the, yeah, yeah. But, but preach, I want to talk about this for a moment because this is something I think you know. You're, you're coming from an industry that uh, people want to get into, and a lot of people go in and, and they're holding on to moral values, and then you know, then there's what you know we call them the technical industry, you know, scope creep, mm -hmm. you know, slowly things start changing. You're asked to do things and you start to justify it in your mind, but you're sort of, you know, going against your, your moral values. I mean, what advice do you have for people that are in the comedy realm, the acting realm who are going in with the right intention that, you know, they want yeah, absolutely. names out there, absolutely. but then they're dealing with all that other stuff that comes with it. Cause to be frank, it's an ugly world. Let me, let me, let me, let me give you a great, Example of it. I felt that way when I left Brillstein Gray. Ten years later, really more than ten years later, because it was 2019, I started 2003. I look up and I'm like, 
there is this industry to do that. We have a market to do that. Now, is it as organized as it could be? No, is it as well-funded as it could be? No, I'd say, but we have enough talent to command it. And looking back, you know, sometimes you don't realize where you are in a workspace. But we were going into comedy clubs uh, with a first-time project, never proven, and demanding things like no alcohol, right? No pork, right? Um, and they were like, "Well, we can't do." It. I said, "No, no, no," because you've been in the business all the time. I said, "Yeah, but you have the alcoholics here. You have alcoholics anonymous meetings here, and y'all have dry meetings, right?" So why can't my people just have dry meetings? Right. And they were like, "Well, yeah, I, I got you. You studied. You told. <laughs> I seen it. You know. Right. You've had heroin. You know. You have a, a narcotics anonymous. You can't have any kind of analysis. So my people require these things. Right. I said, and the caveat is, and I know Muslims. I was like, you don't even understand Muslim culture. I said, when Muslims go out, they rarely ever go out. It's just gonna be one of us. Right. You know, a family comes out." It's the father and the mother, you know, two, three kids. And we were family friendly. Right. And I was like, so you may not have enough. I, and I point to the first show we did in the United States was at the DC Improv. The first night we held the show up because it was late. But we prayed. It was 300 people praying in the lobby at the Improv. People looking out. The people workers are like, what in the world? Right. <laughs> and on top of that, for the first time ever, they ran out of food. Right. Did you have anyone say no? No. Alhamdulillah. No. I think the thing that happened was the a lot of the charitable organizations caught on and then it was like just come do our come do our right. thing. And then some but of the artists are important like, because there's you know, the 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 the, the whole notion that Shaitan threatens you with poverty. Right. Right? And and here you are making ethical, moral decisions for the sake of Allah, for the sake of your, your religion, knowing that career wise it potentially could be seen as a as a setback. Right. Sure. You're working in Hollywood, writing for Damon Williams for the George Lopez show. I'm an artist. You made it at this point. You're you're in. You're in. Right? I'm That's there. the door I'm there. everyone wants open that everyone's trying to get into. You step inside, look around and say, Nope, close the door and walk back out. You don't even close the door, just walk back out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know what it is? It was funny because I think more so than a lot of the artists coming up today. And I, I could be totally wrong. I'm just speaking for myself. Back then, because I was a road comic and I came up through the ranks, to your point, Musfa, I wasn't afraid of being poor. I was already poor. Right. This is important. Yeah. yeah. I was poor. It was like, you can't threaten me with poverty. I've been there as an adult. I've seen it around okay. me. So, so you're saying you're <laughs> poor. And, and you, like, talking to you, it kind of reminds me of talking to someone who, and I'm not saying because of your age, even though you did date yourself and give us your birthday. I'm not, <laughs> but it sounds but like, I look good. But, no, just <laughs> it sounds like someone who's talking about kind of like coming up in the Motown era. And, you know, in the Motown era, people are, there's no, there's no internet. Mm -hmm. There's no YouTube to get discovered. You have to go to these kind of like small hole in the wall uh, places to do shows people sleeping in cars, yes. going to shows, not having enough money to get back. What we as artists call paying dues. Yes. Did you do that? And if so, Absolutely. How, how was that? Explain that to us that, that time. I performed long enough. I couldn't get married till I was done at 40. Mm. Because uh, you were so Yeah, tired you, could, you couldn't. And, I was on the road. You just couldn't support a family like that. Um, 
I think the other thing is like, you know, when you wanted to perform, you had to go to the spaces that were going to break you. Hollywood was a lot different than you. My job that I got the year I wanted to write for Damon Wayans. I'm going to pause you here. Break you. What, what does that mean? Like we said, you break, it gets you, like your big break. Okay. So you weren't going to get a big break in Milwaukee, but you might get a nice little break in Chicago. Got it. So in the Midwest, if you want to get discovered anyway, you will go to Chicago. And after you made it in Chicago, you either go east or west, New York or L.A. I left Milwaukee and went to L.A. But because of the experience of just grinding... And I mean legitimately grinding. I like, you know, I, I hear comedians and I date myself because I hear comedians complain about, oh, I don't want to sit in this seat on the aisle because, you know, when I fly, I'm like, fly. <laughs> right. I'm like, you complain about flying? Right. Right, man, I <laughs> I was like, dude, I used to have to get up on a Friday morning for a Friday, Friday morning for a Friday gig, get up at 2 in the morning. Well, it was like 2, one thirty in the morning because you're still trying to make Juma before you can get there. It's a 10-hour ride to Lincoln, Nebraska. You have to get up, roll. I mean roll. You got to get through. I remember the, the route, man. You, you know, Wisconsin through Illinois, Illinois through Iowa, Iowa into Lincoln. And I'm like, Omaha, Lincoln, and you have to get there. And then there you are trying to find a masjid because you didn't have you didn't have internet. So you're pulling up to some truck stop or whatever, and you're going through the yellow pages trying to find a Muslim name calling. Hey, where, where do you go pray? It's like Islamic. It's like Juma cold calling. You know, hey, where are you going to Juma? Who is this? Don't worry about it. I'm trying to get to Juma. Um, and then you didn't have MapQuest. So, okay, now I'm going to figure out uh, how do I get here? How do I get here? Because, you know, my limited... Islamic knowledge is funny because I took my shot and then I went on the road. I didn't have like, I couldn't sit in classes with, they didn't really have the new Muslim class type right. of deal. You just, you're grooving. It's like, yeah, I, I said it, you saw it. I was like, yeah, man, I didn't know for a bunch of years that there was an exemption for Juma when you travel. To my mind, it was far. It's like, you've got, you've got to be there. You've got to find something. It might not be this match yet, but you better find one mm, right. and you will get there. And it's like, okay, I'm trying to pray up. Then I'm trying to get to the club. But in that whole experience, you've driven 570 miles. And it's like, you, your mind is like, Hey man, that's just what you do. So we, we call this paying dues. Right? Yeah. And yeah. It, it builds, it builds, it builds the artist. And um, these are necessary, necessary steps. Uh, did you have mentors along the way? Yeah. Do you still have mentors? Uh, my comedy mentor, uh, my 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 comedy stepdad, if you will, is uh, Dick Gregory. And uh, I wanted to quit comedy when I was 22. It was a Def Jam thing. I was a clean comic. It was hard to get on. I didn't curse. Not that I wasn't funny, but I didn't curse. I didn't, you know, I wasn't degrading people and it's like man you know you you it's nothing comics don't know what it is to go up after comedians just been cursing for like 35 minutes 45 minutes you got to follow i'm like it's like a, it's like walking a plank man you know and you and you had to get but you learn you you build strength from that and now you're the guy that i don't even have to be i ain't, I ain't gotta use the curse word i ain't gotta none of the curse i'm gonna get out here and I'm, I'm gonna kill him you know that's that's what you would say but you know the, the to answer your question, yeah, man, you know, Dick Gregory 
walk me back. And I'll never forget, you know, may may Allah be pleased with that man. But he for, said something. For our listeners who don't know what is walk me back. I was about to quick, and he he pulled. He he said, "Listen, let me let me sit down and talk to you, young fella." <laughs> now, but now he was the original protest comedian. He gives rise to Richard Pryor. For people that don't know Richard Pryor, I'm gonna help you out. Just go look up Richard Pryor. But he gives rise to Richard Pryor, Bill Cosby, all these folks. He's the first. African-American comedian that can actually talk directly to a white audience. Mm. Before then, you had the the advent of two comedians, like two black comedians. They sit on stage and have a conversation with one another and like the white audience would listen in. That was the way it was. And he broke that and he was like very adamant about. Because when was Dick Gregory performing? Wow, the fifties, fifties, sixties, and so he it's in the middle of the civil rights. Yeah, he he was the voice for I want to say, well, he was the favorite comedian of the civil rights and the favorite comedian of Malcolm X at the same time. But he walks me back because I'm telling him how hard it is, and he's a guy that lost everything, man. I'm talking about he's on the road when his wife loses a baby, mm-hmm. and he basically tells her, "Hey, let's toughen up." <laughs> I'm like, what? But bankruptcy, things like that, my mom connects me with them, and I'm telling her how hard it is, and I say something really stupid, like, you know, you don't understand, I'm a Muslim comedian, I'm out here, you know, because I had this really bad kick. I got fired, man. I, I got literally died on stage. I would walk. It was an hour and 15, hour 25 minutes of people just cursing up and down, and I would come on late, like one in the morning. It's a death sentence. <laughs> and I'm like, I died on stage. I said, well, most of them have pride on the I said, I died on stage. And he said something. And he goes, do you think you're the only Muslim that died on stage? Mm. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, I don't know. You're not the only Muslim that died on stage. I'm thinking Muslim comedian. Mm. I'm like, who else died on stage? He goes, Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. And he goes, if you don't have that level of conviction, give it up. He said, if you really, if you're real, give it up. Don't he said, take Muslim off the name. Da da da. He said, just give it up. Quit. He said, but you have that level of conviction, because that's you have to be willing to go that far. Mm. So you're thinking about X and going that far. I'm like, I'm just talking about a career as a comedian. That's the least of my worries. And that's the thing. That's that's that premise. And I remember telling him about Allah made me funny at uh, Kansas State University. And he's like, you know, you should have been doing this a long time ago. You know, mm-hmm. hey, what, what you waiting for? To, you know, what you waiting for to become Christian? Get up and do this thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And later mm-hmm. in life, he actually comes, uh, 2010, he actually comes to a comedy club to watch an Allah Made Me Funny show. And he never comes to watch other comedians. Mm-hmm. He didn't like, he, he will not come watch him, but he came to see Allah Made Me Funny. All of a sudden, you're doing stand up and it feels like a dissertation. I'm defending my dissertation because it's a master in the room. And I'm like, I'm never going to get the, we've had conversations about longevity. You know, when he died, he still had gigs on the books. He was 84 years old. Mm -hmm. I performed at his 80th birthday party and he performed at his 80th birthday party. And so, you know, I was like, he was like, how long are you going to do this? I was like, I don't know. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm go to the wheels fall off. I was like, man, I don't know if I can do that. Subhanallah, I've, I've learned over the years, and you and I have had conversations like this. You can learn a lot about someone just by asking them about their mentors. Yeah, absolutely. 
you explaining that Dick Gregory was one of your main mentors and then the end of racism tour, understanding what Dick, Ray, Dick Gregory represented. Uh, mashallah. Yeah, we encourage our audience to Google all these names and, yeah. and see who they were in history. So, you know, Preacher, let me ask you a question. So it seems like this, this you being a Muslim is not a side thing. It's who you are. It's <laughs> the essence of who you are. And yeah, so, yeah. Well, this is, Sidi, can I, because yeah. this is important because right. I think we live in a time where Islam has been commoditized. Exactly. Right? Where I can get, the, the struggles that you had, Sidi, uh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is it S I D I or S E E D Y? We'll let the audience decide. <laughs> <laughs> They've heard from me now, so Allah. they can make their own conclusions. But see, what for you was uh, kind of like a thorn in your side in terms of your career, preventing you from from going mainstream was this Islam. The fact that you're in this package of being a Muslim in our age now. This could be the thing that actually gets you on stage. Just the fact that you're claiming that you're a Muslim. Artistic merit, you know, I mean, not standing. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the funny part was I have pictures of myself in 1991, 92, I'm sorry, on stage telling jokes. And I have a kufi on. Huh. I'm like, this is how I roll. Mm. And the club owners over the years are like, that's how he rolls. It's a real funny story. It's not kind of funny, but it's a funny story. I'm coming off, uh, speaking out of college. I had to drive like four hours to make my evening gig at the club. And I'm in a time thing about I only have a certain amount of time to pray. And I only have a certain amount of time to get it done before the show starts. And so was, this is a crazy story. But I'm like, I got to pray. I walk in I'm to the owner. I'm like, look. The show starts in 20 minutes. I can't go up till I pray because if I go up, I'm going to miss. I got to pray. That's my thing, right? He says, oh, let's just go down to my office. So I had a comedian down there. I won't say his name. But he'd probably get ticked off. Yeah, don't say it. But <laughs> I go down and there's a comedian literally snorting cocaine. And he's like, what's up, preach? I'm like, hey, look, um, I don't know if this is bad timing. <laughs> between me and your addiction uh, but we gotta fit in and pray I'm like what parts of the room didn't you do cocaine in <laughs> and that's why I'm gonna lay my rug <laughs> he's like that part thank you <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing I'm doing crack rock sweeps I'm like, we pray get a crack rock right in your forehead you know just and I was in that and that was I got to get it done. It's not a clean thing. It's not a clean thing. You pray. You got to pray. Someone you pray on the side of the road, whatever. You know, it's like, I got to get it in. I was like, just just hold your addiction for 15 minutes. <laughs> you know, you're trying to pray. You know, Bismillah. Can you keep that down? Can you can you just hold off a line? Just a minute. Jeez. But it's lunacy. It's, it's craziness. But it's like, that's the juxtaposition of where you are. And I think in Hollywood, we, you know, before 9-11, dudes respected that, particularly African-American comedians. Like, if they were going to, like, get high. They were talking about getting high or they're rolling. And I walk in, the improv, they're like, hey, hey, respect my brother. He's a Muslim brother. You know, respect him. Say, now, preach, as soon as you pass, we're going back to what we're doing. But we, and it was that re respect. Well, so let me ask you about that, preacher, because now, you know, I really want to hear your feelings on... 
you know, Muslims are, are breaking into Hollywood. We see more names coming through. But, uh, you know, we see the roles that they're pre- uh, playing, uh, not ones that are preserving some of these concepts, these moral concepts. You know, they're, they're, they're strange roles. I mean, do you think that, that does a, a, a positive service to the Muslim community? I think the thing you have to look at is, I think you have to look at is, you know, do they have more value? Sometimes you can assign more value to people that just don't have it. It's like a person, he's a Latino actor and he gets up there and we get disappointed because in the big speaking role, he doesn't, we find out he doesn't speak any Spanish. Mm. And it's like, oh, we let down. I'm like, sometimes people just don't have it. And we have to be very careful about who we assign or fix value to thinking that they speak for us. Everybody doesn't speak for you. Everybody speaks. There's a very, uh, a very important point. We They just had a academic thing on the contributions of Elijah Muhammad. And and I remember this, um, it's a quote, and he says about religion, he goes, he said, I'm not here to teach you religion. He goes, I'm not here to teach you that my job is to, get, to stand you up and clean you up. And I'm like, that is so gangster. I'm not here to teach you religion. That'll be my son. My son is learning, I, look, I can only bring you to a point. Mm. And you're going to realize at that point, this is all I can do for you. This guy right here is the one that's going to teach you religion. And I think sometimes when we, we look at folks, you know, Hollywood's a weird game. Hollywood's a really, really weird game. Because people go, hey, listen, I mean, Hollywood, it's you know, it's my art. You know, it's my art and my flow. And I'm like, no, it's competition. You're in the business of competition. Now, is it competition with everybody over here? Is it competition with yourself? Mm. Now, if it's competition with, like, John Coltrane is a prime example of competition with yourself. You know, I don't need to be around other musicians. We don't need to be going back and forth. My my thoughts are way over here about chord arrangements and, 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 and... how the music's supposed to be. I want to play scales and I want to listen to different types of music. You know, I don't want to block myself in and out of these musical problems comes this new art. You can like it if you want to do, do what you do. You, you know, do you, but don't, you know, go over like it's, it, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, any artist wants to present a certain level of excellence in what they do. You know, otherwise it's garbage. If you know it's garbage, you know, it's garbage. You don't show it to people. Hmm. Or if you show it to people, hoping people go, oh, it's great. Then you got a whole nother conundrum that you're dealing with. So when guys get to Hollywood, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a concession process, you know, they get boxed in. Like some people get there and it's like, this is what you can talk about. This is what we're going to pay you for. I was listening. I was running. This is totally, there's a group called the time. Morris day, the protege of a prince. And, uh, they had a hit called, uh, the bird. Mm-hmm. Off the uh, Purple Rain soundtrack, had a hit called "The Bird." The next album, they they tried to come up with another song that was a, that would be you know set up a dance craze. When they were like, "Hey, well, we're doing the Oak Tree," and I'm like, "You were doing the Bird, now you're doing the Oak Tree," and and it's like they talk about it. it's like, "Look, we had a hit. You go back, the company goes, we want a hit like that one. We want to hear about all your thoughts and your impressions and your your, your ideas." We want the thing that's going to be commercially successful. That's what you do. 
So you lose a bit of your own artistry in that. Yeah, yeah, you do, you do, and and even with the internet and things like that, it cannibalizes itself. Mm. You know, because one person does it, then everybody does it. You know, and there are people who are unique in terms of their expression and how they see art. It doesn't matter what medium that they will put it in; it's just going to stand out. You know what I mean? Mm. If you're going through Instagram, you know, people do this thing because Instagram is basically pictures. It's like you, you, you know, whatever you could swipe. You used to be able to swipe left with these, these, these single services. Now Instagram is up and down. You can literally not look at it and just go wee. <laughs> I mean, you can literally do that. And um, but there are certain people who have uh, a profundity to their art. And when I say profundity, means like you want to know what were they thinking. Like you understand that they put time into this expression you know and, and, and it's not rushed mm. it's, it's interesting to watch look at an Instagram thing and go this person did not rush mm. you know they didn't it was like it it had it had some real meaning to it mm. so, let me ask you I mean what advice would you give to these up and coming Muslim young comedians who want a, a break inside the industry I mean what would you tell them through this experience that you've had Write down what you value before you start taking these meetings, before you start going to the clubs, before you start going to acting class, before you start going to industry parties. Write down who you were before then. Mm-hmm. Write that down. And then maybe five years, right? Look at what you're doing. It's like a diet. You know, what, what are you doing over here? What do you, you know, what, what spiritual food are you eating over here? And it's like, you, you have to do that. You have to be honest with yourself. You know, you have to be honest with you. And, and the world will change around you. Like I tell a lot of these Muslim artists and I remind myself, the world will change around you. The world will revolt against you because you're not doing it. They will, they will literally revolt mm. around you, meaning that we need, we just need this dude out of the picture. I call it the philosophy, the, the phenomenon of being a Muslim in the room. And the Muslim in the room philosophy, I would say, is you, you go to an industry party, the Muslims there, and somebody goes, hey, congratulations, everybody. We're going to toast the movie. And then everybody gets a glass. Right. And they give you, they pour out champagne. Everybody got the glass of champagne. And they come to you. Here, brother, here's a glass. No, I'm good. Why Why? Why are you good? No, nah, I, I don't drink. Oh, you don't drink? Oh, how come you don't drink? Are you alcohol? Are you recovering? No, better than that. A Muslim, then, and everybody's looking like, <laughs> even the Muslims in the room look like, what? <laughs> What's he doing? What's Better he doing? him than me. <laughs> no, I don't know if anybody ever saw the movie Training Day. There's a scene in Training Day where they're basically digging up this guy's house and they pull out this millions of dollars and there's a Washington is throwing money around and they come to the new cop, the rookie cop, Hoyt. And they go, here's your, here's your money, Hoyt. Hoyt goes, I, I can't take that. They go, no, it's yours. It's your, we split. He goes, I can't take that. And Denzel Washington goes, we sure would feel better if you took it. <laughs> <laughs> we sure would feel better. I would feel better. But right. see, you see what that is? That's right. deep. Yeah. That is deep. It's like, we sure would feel better if you took that. What about how I feel? 
So, Preach, you survived Hollywood. You worked in Hollywood. You came out with your knee intact, right? And that's not the case for everybody. So, um, what advice would you give to people who are, who are coming up in the arts, whatever art that is, comedy or, or, or otherwise, to maintain that? Aside from what you said, make a list and check it every few years. Aside from that, because it's a constant battle. It's a constant battle. And, and, and I think the thing I would tell folks is it's a constant battle. It's not a perfect battle. You're not just going to have a string of victories. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to have wins. You're going to have some losses. But if the idea of, uh, like like Sir Osser, if the idea is constancy, then you you must stay at it. It's like a musician that, you know, you'll play a tune the first time through. It sounds horrible. Play it through again. It sounds horrible. And you're like, man, we got to record this thing. And then you go, oh, wait a minute, there's familiarity because you, you learn. And, and I have to say this because I, I, I speak, I spoke about it a lot. Is that there is a uh, inherent value in understanding failure, why you fail. Hmm. You know, because everybody, success to a lot of folks mean I didn't fail. You fail if you take a test and it's a 100 out of 100 test. And you got a 98. They go, hey, I got an A. No, but you failed on 2% of this test. It's it's about allowances. So it's like, yeah, you know, understand that you're going to fail. You know, the thing is just don't accept failure as the, as the end result. You know, and, and I think that's the thing that Dean-wise is, is really, really important. Because for me, for myself, on stage, off stage, Failure was like, there's something I didn't do correctly or there's something I could have done better. And I never blame Allah. You know, I, I never blame Allah. I said, whatever it is, whatever I did over here is something, I won't be philosophical, but something in the unseen mm. wasn't correct. You know, it's interesting, Preacher. I mean, we started talking about the Allah Made Me Funny tour and uh, your tours on race and how you're trying to bridge the gap between the Muslim communities and, you know, humanize uh, the Muslim community of America and also get them talking about race. And now we're, we're seeing the, the time that we're in America. And it seems like race is not an issue just compartmentalized to the Muslim community. Well, I like that. <laughs> it's got a big issue going on. Well, you know, we, we uh, Mustafa and I were editing on a project today, and I said, this is the one line I wanted to get out. And it was about Donald Trump. And I was like, you know, you know, back, I think it was, I don't know, it was 2000, maybe 2007, 2008, we actually met Trump in New York at, uh, I think it's Fox News Dayside. That was the name of it. We actually gave him, I think I sorry, gave him a, uh, Allah Made Me Funny DVD. Ah, so Donald Trump has a Allah Made Me Funny DVD. <laughs> you know, this, this is real talk, you know. How sweet he gave Manhattan. it to him. He took it. He took it. Um, but I said this, I said, man, Donald Trump, uh, in his own way, he reminds us that, that there's no more, there's no more messengers coming. Mm, yeah. <laughs> there's no more messengers coming. Whatever you were supposed to do, you should have got done by now. Cause all you get now is reminders, <laughs> 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 which isn't the funniest line, but it's, it's probably the most truthful line. Yeah. And I was like, all you getting is reminders and you're getting that whooping stick right now. The Muslim community, I love the Muslim community, but you're getting a whooping stick right now. What you have now is people, they play Muslims. 
They use Muslims. They use Muslims' good intentions. We, if it's Muslim, we'll show up. Who's got a Muslim name? Huh? But when I ask him, what about your character? Right. What about your your character? We ain't talking about your Islam yet. What's your character? Why Why would I come see you? And I think you know Muslims. They they come in these spaces, put the money down, and people put on stage, whatever you know, because they're in the house now. I can do what I want to, and there's no accountability. You know, it's so interesting you're talking about character because if you know the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, he, he summarized his whole message by saying, "I was sent to perfect moral character." Yeah, that's what it's all about at the end of the day. You know, Allah made me funny was that in comedy form. I mean, back in 2004, we would do shows. I put it in perspective. We'd do shows. People would come out for the comedy show. Like two, three communities. They wouldn't have anything else to do with one another, but they come for the comedy right. show. Preacher, I want to thank you for your yes, time sir. here on the sure. Iman Wire podcast, Istanbul edition. I don't want to keep you up all night. Maybe that I'm jet lag is getting to you. got a flight tomorrow or are you leaving on Saturday? I have a flight tomorrow. I oh, you flight tomorrow. tomorrow. I'm, I'm sad to leave the Davis household. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm lucky to be I'm with, lucky to be his neighbor. With, with, my, with, my, with my nephew, my nephews and my nieces and my, and my sister and my brother, you know. But, yeah, man, I, I hope uh, – Anybody listening, look, I, I'm not out here to offend anybody, and I just want to uh, emphasize, I'm not, I'm not better than anybody. My experiences are different, but I'm not better than anybody. So it's like, you know. But you're a ZD now. <laughs> Officializing yeah, yeah. Istanbul. Done. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, your brother's a beautiful man, and, and, and please keep doing what you're doing, because you know why? Because I can't do it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, <thank> you. <laughs> Thank you so much. We uh, thank all our listeners for listening in. Uh, please uh, follow us on iTunes. Uh, give us that uh, five-star rating. And if you have any comments or suggestions, please send them in to us. Uh, many of you I know are following our dear brother Salim in uh, his Iman Wire podcast in America. So we're going to be every once in a while throwing some podcasts from uh, from here in Istanbul. Mustafa, thank you so much for being with us today. It's always good to be with you. And we'll see everyone soon. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Oh, I'm